don't know if you knew this, Reed, but the Chipotle is hiring 15,000 new full-time and part-time workers ahead of its busy March to May months, which they call the burrito season. Why would people eat burritos more in the March to May time frame? For me, I usually eat tacos at that time. Burritos feels to me more like a uh, winter food because it's more filling and healthy. I don't know. what I thought it was because a taco is more like a convertible. I mean, maybe this is a lead up to Cinco de Mayo. Is it like months of training to get ready for May the 5th? I feel like it's a, a year round that our, my local Chipotle is always so full of people. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Starbucks. I don't know that there's really a season. So I don't know. Maybe there'll be you know pumpkin spice burritos in the fall. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 316. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I just finished up some uh, chips and salsa here, and I'm ready to turn to uh, my quesadilla. Yeah, I just crunched chips all through the episode. (laughs) Well, uh, another episode, another week. I hope everybody is into the swing of the new year at this point. I mean, shoot, we're a twelfth of the way through the year so far already. told somebody the other day, uh, hey, if we don't get this done, then we're going to get, all of a sudden it's going to be spring break. And then I started doing healthcare math and it was like Thanksgiving, you know. Oh no, my gosh. My heart skipped a beat there when you said that. (laughs) It's true. You know, I can, I can get on through the calendar pretty fast if we start talking about why we can't get things done because of something else that's happening. But, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for tuning in for Touchpoint for episode number 316. If you'd like to learn more about episodes 1 through 315, uh, you can do that over at touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is the website. Navigate over there and check out the show and all the episodes and all the fun stuff. While you're there, you'll know something in the navigation called the TPS report. The TPS report is an email that comes out every Monday from those of us here at the network with uh, five articles to start your week and a couple of links to some industry conferences. So again, hopefully it's a value add for you, the listener, and uh, we'll give you a quick quick break here where you can go and uh, and drop us, a, drop us a line so we can add you to that list. TPS report, touchpoint.health. We'll be back right after the break. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. All right, so today we're going to talk about something that uh, is probably something that all of us deal with, talk about, have some sort of interaction in and around, at least topically, uh, on a pretty consistent basis, right? Which is uh, the EMR, the EHR, but, but you know, kind of our clinical operating system across the organization, the electronic health record or medical record. I like how you called it the clinical operating system, the COS. I, I never heard it referred to it that way, but yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's another term. I'm going to go ahead and claim that now. I don't know. <laughs> If that's a thing. But yeah, you know, the EMR, the EHR, all, all organizations have it in some way, shape or form. Obviously, at one point in time, these were paper charts, right, and clipboards, and there's still even some of that floating around. But commonly, you see things like Epic or Cerner or Meditech or eClinical Works or um, all scripts, you know, et cetera. It has become, you know, pretty consistent across the, the uh, I guess, the country, especially with healthcare providers, that something is in place and you're engaging with it, right? You go in and have a test, you got to go log into a portal or maybe an app or something like that to get results. And so we're seeing it to be more of a consumer-facing and even communications channel in a lot of ways. You know, I had a chance to visit with uh, a fine folks over at Epic uh, here recently. We're, we're an Epic shop, and uh, they're listeners of the show, and we're nice enough to come on and, and visit for a little bit. So we'll, we'll get to that shortly, but thought we would uh, start out and talk about you know, really what it means for the patient experience. Yeah, and you know, Reed, you and I have talked about the fact that digital front door, whatever we're calling it, right, that our digital experience is supported by a good patient portal, a good EMR, a good digital record, etc. But as you alluded to with this COS, the clinical operating system, a lot of times those strategies are being developed outside of uh, the work that we're doing from a digital marketing perspective. It almost feels like they're two separate silos. Yet when we talk about EMRs and we, when we talk about patient-facing IT or, um, you know, that can kind of help with this. What we're finding, and some studies are finding now, are that these patient engagement technologies are actually significantly impacting the patient experience in the right way. Again, you think about like my chart, for example, talking about Epic, but there's ways that we even as marketers are driving people to these tools and technologies and asking them to do things, you know. You know, check in for your appointment online or, you know, maybe you fill out your forms online or pay your bill online or, you know, get prescription refills or ask the doctor a question or whatever it may be. These are all being done, you know, via these portals or these these uh, clinical operating systems. I'm going to keep using that term. Again, I, you know, if we think about it, we put a lot of time, effort, energy into like what's the website look like or the app or, you know, the email or something, some other experience you know, are we really looking at the EHR from a, from an experience standpoint, or are we taking that into account as we think about, um, you know, especially the reactivation or the care that, um, you know, the outreach that we're doing uh, to these consumers? So you and I both have a, an opinion about this, but 
We found um, a study that was kind of highlighted in a patient engagement HIT article, and a great place to go when we're talking about patient engagement and health IT is patientengagementHIT.com. They have an article they recently published about patient engagement technologies that add to streamline patient experience. And it all kind of uh, came about this study that was done where they found that these patient engagement technologies of which patient portals are a big part of it, are actually shown to contribute to a better overall patient experience, in part because they enable like access to the patient data and communication with your care providers. But this research pointed to the direction of this bigger idea of like, how does health IT influence the patient experience of care? And uh, there's some interesting findings that came out of this. Yeah. And first, I want to do call out another term, uh, P-TECH, which is exciting. They say it's health IT that is patient facing. So I made a note here to add it to our team's internal glossary. Uh, So P-TECH. Wasn't that also a cordless phone? No, that was V-TECH. (laughs) V-TECH. Sorry, I just stepped way back in time. It talks in here a little bit in this article about that the consumer perceives the whole patient experience, not kind of these piecemealed interactions all across different channels. And I think that's interesting, right? Because we, we talked about, especially when I was early on in healthcare and we were working with the Studer group, you know, people would talk about, well, you could, everything could go wonderfully and the, the care could be great and the procedure went well. And, you know, if that medical transport person, the person, you know, wheeling them out of the hospital, was rude or didn't have a good experience, like it ruins the whole thing. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is like it's hard to divorce yourself in and amongst the experience because you're not really thinking like, well, I'm moving from one thing to the next or one technology to the next, right? Face-to-face interactions and technological interactions, patients don't see those as distinct from each other. They actually view the fact that P-TECH, can enable a better exchange of information and have a very strong influence on the relationship of the patient to that care provider, particularly around communication. And that's that's pretty significant if you think about that, right? I mean, we all know that technology helps to helps us to communicate better. I mean, you and I, Reed, we're, we're talking through technology to one another right now, right? And we do it all the time with phones, text messages and stuff. Well, patients don't see the difference now between face-to-face and, and patient portal messages. They see that as continuous. Well, in, in relative to that, you know, they're talking here about that the value uh, that people are finding is around this kind of self-management or the exchange of information, or as you just said, communications, right? All, all these administrative actions and that people are really seeing the portal or the electronic health record as an extension of that patient provider, you know, relationship. I'm not going to say that you're going to switch providers because of the technology that they use or the EHR that they use. But I mean, you might, like it wouldn't be unheard of, or I wouldn't be like, wow, that seems weird. Because again, if I've got to fill out the same forms over and over again, if I can't check in online, if I can't have a tele or virtual visit uh, for the lower acuity stuff, and I can't get questions answered without talking to somebody, like at some point, generationally, even, you know, people are going to get to a place where it's like, this is the convenience is not here. This is not helpful. So again, it's that kind of extension. While you may not change because of the patient portal, certainly your experience will be better. And they actually found through this study 
that key aspects of P-Tech positively influences quality and influences your experience. Presence of P-Tech was linked to better HCAP scores in staff responsiveness, understanding, cleanliness, quietness, nurse communication, communication about medicines, discharge instruction. I mean, if you have a good EMR strategy and you're leveraging it the right way, think about what the impact could be to your HCAP scores. Most of those, I'm like, no, totally, I get it. You know, the responsiveness, you know, the discharge instructions, the communication around medicine, nurse communications, et cetera. Cleanliness and quietness. <laughs> those are two that uh, kind of caught me off guard, you know, just kind of looking through the list. But it's interesting, right? And I, and I can see how the level of satisfaction rises, the more, uh, the, the easier life is, so again, if you've got the right technology in place, that that's what it allows you to do. So again, extension, not separate, right? This is kind of part of it. I mean, like we said earlier, you know, people can't and aren't in their minds differentiating in-person versus technology-powered interactions. And so I think it's something really, really important to, to consider, especially moving forward. Do you have the right, you know, I don't know that that you, the listener, have the power to say, all right, that's it. We're switching EHRs. Like, I don't, know <laughs> I don't know that any one person has that ability, quite honestly. But I do think, hey, go figure out what that experience looks like. You know, go be a secret shopper or a pretend patient, if you will, like in your organization to really understand because this is such a critical part of the consumer journey. It sure is. It sure is. And and an important part of your patient engagement strategy overall. So let's take a break here, Reed. And when we come back, we'll talk about another recent study that they found specifically about patient portals that doesn't paint such a positive picture, but it's an important one for us to consider as we're looking at the bigger question of how does the EMR, the electronic medical record, impact overall patient experience? We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So before the break, I think we clearly showed there is a correlation between a good P-Tech strategy, including your EMR, your electronic medical record, and patient experience. However, from an article we found on patientengagementhit.com, there was a sort of a, a, a sort of a not so positive slant on patient portal use. And it's an article that was called Racial Disparities in Patient Portal Use is Often Fueled by Provider Engagement. We need to have this in awareness because if we're yeah. talking about digital equity, we need to ensure that the disparities of our patient portal usage is not widespread among our audiences that we serve. And as a side note, to be perfectly clear, 
This has nothing to do with the technology itself or the vendors or people that build it. You know, this is all about workflow and adoption and that, you know, we, the people deploying the technology are, are, are utilizing it. Right. Because, uh, what it's calling out here is that black and Hispanic patients are being offered the patient portal access at a rate that's five percentage points lower than white people being offered it. So this has nothing to do with some sort of bias in the technology, right? Like that's not what this is about. Yeah, not at all. Think about that disparity. 65% of white patients say their provider offer them access to their portal, but only 54% of black patients and 49% of Hispanic patients reported the same. And this is over a study that was done from 2020 through now. Just offering them access to the patient portal obviously has an impact on their utilization. Regardless of whether clinicians encourage them to do so or not, white respondents said they had accessed the patient portal. About 50% of the respondents said they just went ahead and and sought that out. Whereas without even that offering, only 36 to 30% of Black and Hispanic patients sought out a patient portal to solve their care. That could reflect back on the processes around or the way we we kind of set it up with our patients, but also there is some things that we need to consider when we're when we're looking at these audiences and developing our strategies. I think that's interesting, right? So fifty for fifty percent versus you know somewhere in the low to mid thirties. So what is that? Is that like a third less? Would that yeah. be a math yeah. right? That's about somewhere right. around there. Yeah. This is, you know, the reason for low patient portal use and adoption may be varied, but, you know, some of this may have to do with, you know, access to broadband or, you know, even digital health literacy and other elements that the digital divide. And we've talked about that on the show. It's probably been a while. We should we should circle back on that. Uh, but the digital divide, you know, the, the kind of what, what that likely plays in this uh, this equation. Yeah, I think that is certainly something that we need to, to think about. The other thing, too, is if you notice in the way we kind of teed up the, the results here, just the mere fact of being offered a portal to someone drives their usage of that portal. There, the positive note on this is you could flip the paradigm over. If you start to engage all patients, regardless of race, in patient portal usage, right, there's a big flip. More people used it if they were offered it and were told how to do it and even given instructions on how to use it. That's the big thing here, right? It's not that there is a bias in the technology. It's more around the, the do, they, do they even know it's there? And once they know it's there, can they access it? So I think digital divide plays into this a little bit, but also just complete awareness is part of this. Let's not pretend like, I mean, even when they talked about that about half of the, the white respondents said they accessed the portal. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know that it's terribly bad, but it's also not great either. Right. There's a lot of room uh, regardless of who you're talking about. So, you know, I, I go back to this idea that I wonder if purely from an education standpoint, ease of use standpoint, how are we encouraging training and supporting the people that we're providing this access to? I think there's probably room all the way around, certainly, but I think there is a lot of opportunity around really articulate the benefit and the value of it and then trying to make it easy for folks. 
you know, and they noticed that they they went the study went so far to even track and to see like comparing how do white people, black people, and Hispanic people use the patient portal. And once they have access to it, they even found that black populations were more likely than uh, any other group to use secure messaging. So I don't think it's the technology that's the problem here, right? It's just that mere access to it, getting them access to it, providing them awareness that you have it, and then ensuring that they have the tools that they need to access it much more discreetly. Of course, security concerns are another thing that's reported in the patients, but still, it's about reinforcing that importance of building a patient-provider trust which in turn can lead to better communication. And I think at the end of the day, this is what it's all about, Reed. It's about how can we as providers better communicate with our audiences, with our patients, and how does the patient portal play their role in this? Because they certainly can influence it if being used. So I think, you know, I mean, obviously this is part of our lives. It's, it's going to be for going forward. It will continue to get better. There'll be more utilization. It'll become less of just the paper chart that's now digital and be more of a, a true kind of ecosystem that includes communications and all those types of things. And it, it's kind of exciting to think about where, where a lot of this is going. Let's do this. Let's let's take one more break. Uh, we've got uh, Sam Searing from Epic joining us and, and excited to, to hear from him. It was a great conversation. I'm um, excited for you guys to hear it. So we'll take a break, come back. He's got some real practical tips on uh, things you can do to kind of get ready for, uh, you know, where the world's headed. We'll do that right after this break. All right. Super excited to have uh, Sam on the show. I think this will be a, a really interesting conversation. But uh, before we get into that, maybe give you a chance for those that I, I'm sure everybody listening probably knows who Epic is. I, I would wager a guess at this point, but maybe introduce yourself, kind of your role and uh, kind of the, the elevator pitch of uh, what you're working on and, and, and excited about. Thanks for having me, Reed. My name is Sam. I uh, work here at Epic on our Cheers team, which is our CRM platform. Now, that can kind of mean many different things of what I work on here at Epic. So that includes kind of our core CRM capabilities, whether that's helping health systems manage their contact centers and their relationships, or doing some of the proactive engagement and campaign work of acquiring new patients and driving loyalty for for individuals. But part of my larger work is how health systems are able to use their entire Epic stack to achieve whatever sort of consumer transformation or digital transformation goals that they may have. So talking with organizations about SMS engagement or about a online scheduling capabilities. So kind of go all over the place for many different types of activities. Talking about EHRs and kind of what probably most people know Epic to be, electronic medical record, how has our thinking evolved? I mean, you just mentioned a lot of stuff that I don't think people innately equate to an EHR. What is the EHR now? Like, how do you kind of define that as it relates to, especially those listening kind of in the marketing communications consumer experience world? Kind of how how do you think about that? Yeah, so I don't know if I can speak for the other EMR vendors that are out there, but 
From Epic's perspective, I, I might want to take your listeners back a little bit to where we started as a company. Back in the 70s and 80s, when we were first creating our software, we were the first that really put the patient at the heart of what we are developing. So everything revolves around the interactions with that individual. So of course, probably for the audience, when you think about a EMR, it would be things like diagnosis information, appointments, medications, lab tests. And that's really kind of that core information. But it would be a mistake to think of particularly Epic as just that. And it's because over the subsequent years, we've started to layer around additional pieces for that core information. So this may be things like social determinants of health information so that you can identify patients that have transportation or food insecurity concerns. Maybe it's connecting with genetic testing laboratories so that we can incorporate genetic information for more personalized medicine. With those deeper insights around it, that's where then we've built this engagement layer around all of that data so that you can have a fully integrated experience from the time that somebody lands on your website and schedules that first appointment through to the care experience, whether it's in-person or virtual. And then finally, to the ongoing engagement and loyalty building with those individuals, making sure that they're coming back to you. And so that's kind of the evolution of why I think that marketers should be focusing a little bit more on the tools that they could leverage within their EMR to accomplish their goals that they may have as a marketing team or as a consumer transformation team. So that's really interesting, right? I know, you know, here internally, we've been talking a lot about, and even Chris and I have around this idea of, you know, acquisition is probably, patient acquisition is probably where historically we've spent a lot of our time and put a lot of our focus, right? And that was uh, directly correlated to, you know, advertising efforts, if you will. I think it's a little bit different now when we're thinking about, well, we've, we've engaged with and have acquired a lot of folks. Well, how do we reactivate them or re-engage them or retain them even? That coupled with this idea that everybody talks about being you know, patient-centric or consumer-centric or putting the consumer in the middle of, you know, you know however, whatever you want to say, right? I guess to your point, I don't know how you would do that without the information that's in the EMR, that that is where you ultimately become smarter and, and more targeted, not in an advertising way, but in a you know meet the consumer where they are or what you know however else you want to frame that. But yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of an interesting thought, right? Because I don't know that we've been as marketers all that focused on the EMR, other than some of the patient portal adoption efforts. From gosh, when was that? Was that eight? 10 years ago, something like that, that that became a big focus, maybe? That was kind of the time that marketers were engaged is whenever you roll out a, a new EMR, you got to promote the portal. You got to get, get people signed up and then you kind of go about your day. And I think this refocus um, that you mentioned around loyalty and reactivation is exactly why we are kind of pushing into this area and evolving in this direction. 
because you don't want a fragmented experience, whether that's for your patients and consumers or for your care team members. It doesn't help the provider or the nurse engaging with an individual if all of that engagement happened in an external marketing system, that they're not able to personalize that interaction based on other engagements. And so it's really about creating that unified experience at the benefit for everyone involved. But then it's also using it and thinking about how can marketers bring their skill set to the benefit of the rest of the organization? So as the U.S. healthcare system moves from the fee-for-service model into value-based care arrangements, there is a great opportunity for marketing departments to bring their leverage of personalization and consumer insights to say, how can we activate these attributed lives that we have to come in for their mammography? or make sure that they're coming to the lab on a regular basis for A1C testing? Or how do we promote the new video visit capability so that we can reduce the overall cost of care? So that's where I think the role of a healthcare marketer is going to need to evolve is both bringing along that legacy skill set that they have of engagement and personalization but now thinking more strategically and taking a leadership role within hospitals and health systems to be part of that change and even to drive that change uh, for patients and consumers. You know, we'll probably be talking more and more about this shift to, you know, kind of the at-risk or the value-based model and what that means for marketers. But have you seen with other clients and things like that, the role of marketing really starting to take this shift? We 100% have seen that shift read. And I would say that that really was a result of the early days of the pandemic because the marketing team, the operational teams, and the IT teams were needing to come together quickly to to have communication around uh, testing efforts, office closures, new policies in the hospitals, and even then to the vaccination work that was going on. And it was almost as if these walls had just broken down between all of these different groups of just like, hey, you're you're over there and I can help you or you can help me. There's just been this realization that it's not worth it to remain siloed in the health system. It really now is these groups are coming together, bringing each of their own individual strengths to the party, to the conversation. And it's starting to grow now into these larger areas. And so that's where it's kind of been my job recently, or at least over the past past couple of years, to make sure that as these groups are starting to coalesce together, that folks who historically haven't interacted with Epic, interacted with the EMR, actually know its true capabilities. It's a bit of myth busting, to say the least, as, as part of it. And so it's just making sure that folks know what they have available rather than needing to go out there and entirely overhaul operational changes and buy new technology when it's simply a matter of just turning it on because they already have it. Chris and I have mentioned it uh, probably at nauseum, um, but certainly numbers of times on the show about 
you know, it's getting harder and harder to delineate where what we do starts and stops in other departments, you know, pick up. This is a good example of that. You know, when I started doing this as a marketing director in 2003, it was, I mean, I was in charge of advertising. That's what I did, you know, and that's all really anybody did. You know, a website was brochureware at the time. That just kind of is what it is, right? And you get a little community relations and, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but the world has changed to a sense of like, and I think that's what's kind of fun and, and quite honestly, exciting about the roles we play now is that we do get to involve ourselves in the actual care of the patient where that was never a thing before. And so you mentioned, you know, video visits or on-demand video visits, all the tele and virtual capabilities and remote patient monitoring and even the social determinants of health and these other programmatic pieces around chronic conditions and otherwise. It's just going to be interesting to see what someone in my role may be doing in five or 10 years down the road. Uh, It's going to be a very different world read. And I think the thing that maybe some teams aren't necessarily thinking about right now is some of the change management process that needs to happen in order to deliver on the promises of what we've been promoting and marketing to to patients and to consumers. So I think a clear example of where this could come into play is around online scheduling. Pretty much every EMR out there is going to have some online scheduling capabilities built in built into the system at varying different degrees. But oftentimes it's not the technology that is holding up that promise. It's the providers actually wanting to open up their schedule. And that's <laughs> that's not something that you can just flip a switch on. It's something that you have to have a conversation. And so I think that from a marketing perspective, in addition to the strategy of meeting that promise that, that we've put out there, marketing teams can also be internal advocates of saying, hey, we piloted this thing with some of these docs over at this part of the organization. Let's tell a story of how it benefited them in their clinic and how it maybe increased the HCAP scores for satisfaction of the patients. And spread that, do an internal marketing effort. So yeah, the IT team can go in and change everybody's schedule, but the marketing can partner with operations to actually drive that change management process. So I think that it's going to have to be that real partnership and do what I like to call some of the unsexy work of talking to doctors and getting out there and changing minds. But that's what's going to actually get us to that goal that we that we're all espousing towards. Well, I, you said something I thought that was interesting, and maybe we could park here for just a second. But like, you know, what are we doing today to get ready for tomorrow? You know, as you think about that and and, and look at you know all the folks you work with, certainly. I mean, you know what y'all's kind of roadmap is internally, but as you look at your clients and the folks that you're working with, I'm sure everybody's in the same place and everybody's not in the same place, like all at the same time, right? Different size organizations, focus, maturity. But yet, I mean, here we are. I mean, we're all participating in the same year and it's still very much a fee for service world uh, for a lot of folks, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what are some of those things that come to mind when you think about well, what what should marketing be doing today to kind of get ready for that or to start, you know, kind of evolving with the industry? Like what are some of those things that come to mind 
I think one is going to be building relationships. This is not a future where everyone can go it alone. It's going to need to be a team effort. So start learning who are the right people in frontline operations to partner with. Who are the right individuals on your IT staff who are going to help execute the vision that the organization is putting out there so that when it does come time to actually make that future happen, everybody's already together. They trust each other. They're ready, they're ready to go. I would really say that the second thing for marketers and marketing departments to prepare themselves for is really think about how that patient journey is going to be changing. Because in the historical fee-for-service world, we saw them, that touch point, we got paid, and they were out the door. And as long as all of our appointment slots were filled, that was all we needed to do. But with this transition now to this value-based services and this, these at-risk arrangements, we really need to start planning for how are we going to be engaging these individuals outside of that experience? And how do we make sure that they don't even need to come in for that experience so that only those who need that higher degree of touch or care are actually going to be coming in? And then I think the last piece is starting to map out what is all of the data that we actually need to drive this engagement, to drive our our marketing strategies. So how important is it to have core demographic information? Great. We need to know where to to send an email. We always are going to agree upon that. But then start thinking of if we have access to tens of thousands of data elements about an individual, we could get flooded and then we just hit paralysis. So starting to game plan of what are we actually going to do with all of this data if we build these tighter relationships across the rest of the organization? I think that's really great. I, I, I mean, you could spend a career just in those three areas easily, maybe even just in one of the areas. But I do think the relationship building is such a critical piece. And it's not just marketing, but none of our areas are siloed anymore. And, you know, uh, I was just on a call about uh, some of the HCAPS data and I was on another one about remote patient monitoring, another one about our internal demand process. Anyway, it's just it's interesting to me how much more widely the net uh, is is capturing, you know, kind of where we can help and, and be a part. And so I think, I mean, man, these are just such good takeaways and opportunities, certainly for those that are that are listening. It's so funny because so much of our effort has been on acquiring patients historically. You know, the kind of that transactional layer of like, we need you to come in and do something to now it's even relationships on that side of like, uh, maybe we don't want you to do something or just, you know, stay where you are, don't move, you know, kind of a thing. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just such a different shift in mindset a little bit. And I was so happy to to really see that last year. We we went to a number of different conferences, and it was so refreshing to hear people talking about reactivation and reengagement as a core part of that strategy that that they're taking from a marketing or from a digital transformation perspective. And so that's where here at Epic we're going to be 
continuing to enhance our capabilities so that health systems can really have one a unified view of those individuals that they're that they're engaging with regardless of where they are in that journey with the health system and where they are in their own personal health journey but then also from that consumer's perspective that they actually trust that the left hand of the health system is actually talking to the right hand making sure that health systems have those capabilities to deliver on those brand promises that that are being out there and and create that really consumer grade healthcare experience. Very, very cool, man. I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. If folks want to follow up or connect with you or uh, ask a question or dig a little further, what's, what's a good way for folks to track you down? LinkedIn, probably the best place um, for me. If you just search uh, Sam Searing, look for the one with the bow tie um, in the, in the picture. Um, Always happy to connect, uh, to connect with folks there. Also, um, we're going to be at a couple conferences uh, this spring. So the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit, as well as HIMSS that same week, I'll be there at both of those conferences. It'll be a busy week. So um, if you see me, come up. Always happy to chat. Sam, appreciate you coming on the show and uh, certainly looking forward to more conversations and uh, whether they be conferences or otherwise, but uh, excited uh, at the work y'all are doing and I uh, just appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Reed. All right, special thanks to Sam for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate his time and always love hearing from folks that uh, are subject matter experts and kind of, you know, day to day in the space, so to speak. So Sam and I will actually be speaking together, speaking of a couple of announcements, but the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit is the next on the agenda, right? I mean, that's the kind of the next one coming up for, for most folks listening to the show. Yeah, in April, coming up in Austin, Texas, getting back to your old uh, stomping grounds there, Reed. I'm going to be speaking there as well. I'm going to be doing a panel session, uh, Decoding Your Marketing Technology Strategy. I think it's going to be an interesting conference overall. I'm looking forward to meeting up with some of you in in real life there. Yeah, it should be great. Yeah, uh, April 17th through 19th, Austin, Texas. Uh, Again, links are, uh, certainly you can just Google around and find it. Links in the show note, as well as in the TPS report, which you can sign up for over at touchpoint.health. So we'll talk more about conferences as they get closer, but that's the next on the list. And just thought I'd mention, you know, Sam and, and I will be there. Chris will be speaking. We'll be doing an episode of the show, all kinds of fun stuff. So hope to see you there. Would love to know if you're going to be there. All right. Recommendation before we uh, call it a day. Reed, I may be late to the game, but this holiday season, I was gifted an air fryer. Do you guys have an air fryer in your house? We don't. I really feel like I'm left out of most conversations. Uh, It used to be about weather and like rain gauges and stuff. And now it's uh, (laughs) moved on to air fryers. Air fryers, exactly. Well, I didn't think I really needed one. I mean, who needs another kitchen gadget, particularly my kitchen's pretty small. But in this particular case, um, I did get an air fryer. And I have to say, I'm using it all the time. But that's not my recommendation. Okay, but my recommendation is related to that. So if you have an air fryer at home, like many people do, and by the way, Reed, if you like chicken wings, air fryers are phenomenal. You can make chicken wings in like 15 minutes and they're as good as in the restaurant. But nonetheless, 
it could be a mess because basically what it is, it's like a little container that you put all your food in and then it circulates air at a very hot, warm temperature to cook the, cook the food, right? I mean, that's simply what it is. When you're putting like meats and other things in there, your little container, the metal container where you're putting the, the, your, your food products gets really messy, and you have to clean it. I mean, obviously, you have to wash it every time. You know, it always would drive me crazy because you, you know, you want to put something in that may have be greasy, whatever it might be. It gets to be a really hot mess and it becomes just a big cleanup hassle at the end. Well, I went out and found these silicon liner pots for your air fryer. So basically, imagine like a silicon molded bowl that you could put into the bottom of your air fryer. Then you put your food inside the it cooks within that, keeps all the food juices, you know, whatever it is, vegetables, meats, whatever it might be, contained within that. And then afterwards, cleanup is a breeze. You pull it out, wash it under hot water and soap, cleans up really easily, or you could just throw it in the dishwasher and it cleans very easily. Something you can't do with your air fryer container. So my recommendation is going to be, if you have an air fryer, make sure to go out and get one of these silicon liner pots. They have them all over. Check out what you know size air fryer you have. Totally worth the investment. Makes things so much more seamless for me. That's my recommendation. I don't have one. I I go back and forth, but I feel like um, you know it's probably time. Like you know, we probably ought to probably ought to get one. But uh, great recommendation. Also makes great French fries, by the way. That's what I hear. I you know I, I like this from like a warming pizza backup or you know yeah yeah. Even. Um, all right. I here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to recommend shoes. I like shoes. <laughs> and, um, have a fair number of pairs. And in recent years, I've gotten to where I almost exclusively just wear Jordans. Like that's just kind of what I wear on a daily basis. Uh, like the older ones, uh, obviously, like people do, like all the cool kids do. Jordan One Lows are probably my favorite. Uh, but today, I'm actually going to recommend. The Jordan 4. That's uh, an iconic look. There's a lot of great color styles. I like the infrared ones. Jordan 4s, again, Jordan 1 Lowe's, probably still the best, especially like with a suit or something like that. 3s are great as well, but uh, I'm going to go <laughs> Jordan 4s today. So there you go. Jordan 4s. Now, are those uh, very expensive, Reed? Because, you know, those can get pretty pricey. Yeah, they, I mean, they can get pricey on the secondary market, uh, like a fine wine or a bourbon. But, uh, no, I mean, if you buy them new, you know, they still release them uh, in different colors and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're going to pay anywhere from, you know, maybe 150 bucks to $200 or something like that. So, Well, there you go. Uh, that's the recommendation. And, um, you know, let me know if anybody else is a sneakerhead. Uh, we'll, we'll compare notes. But thanks for listening. We certainly appreciate the support. Tell a friend, tell a coworker. Uh, we'd love to continue to see the network grow, which is uh, it's been great over the last five or six years. And uh, yeah, let us know if you're coming to if you're coming to Austin in April. We'd love to love to connect. So, Chris Boyer, I'm Ruth Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.